Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk about life after excision surgery. We are recording this episode just a few days away from the one-year anniversary of my excision surgery. Excision surgery anniversary. <laughs> it's like a little song. <laughs> it's adorable. <laughs> it's your excisiversary. <laughs> Today is my one-year excisiversary. There you go. <laughs> so you've had excision. And now you're healed, right? And now you feel better right? Well, not quite. We've said this many times, but excision is not a cure. It's the gold standard for sure because it gives us the lowest rate of reoccurrence, which is the lowest rate at which endo comes back after surgery. But after excising endo, the body still needs to heal years of trauma and pain and disease. Well, that makes sense because endo is an inflammatory disease. And more than that, it's also a full body disease. I remember my excision surgeon warned me that I might not feel better after excision or that I might not feel better right away. Honestly, he was really good at managing expectations because he had this analogy where he explained that endometriosis is like an eyelash in my eye. And if you have a foreign object stuck in your eye for a few minutes, It's itchy, right? And it starts to turn red. Now, imagine that you have this eyelash, this foreign object in your eye for weeks, for months, for years. Well, then the eye is going to become inflamed. Really, really inflamed, right? Like the tissue is very sensitive. And so let's say that we finally get to remove the eyelash after five years of having this eyelash in our eye. Well, it's going to take time and sometimes it's going to take, in some of our cases, a lot of time for the eye to go back to normal because the whole time that eye has been under the stress and the trauma of having that foreign object in it. Well, this is the same with excision. The body has been super sensitive and on high alert for years. Once the endo lesions are removed, the body has to learn that the endometriosis is gone and it needs time, sometimes a lot of time for that inflammation and the pain to go down. I don't know how else to make my body learn that endo is gone. Like, it's gone. Do I need to put up a sign? Like, Do I need to read it on a piece of paper? Like, I don't know how to tell it. rub my hand across my abdomen like you're talking to a little baby. Like, it's gone, It's gone, little guy. It's gone. (laughs) And I think also after surgery, we may have complications. We may have lost organs, and that causes a shock on your body. We might be undergoing menopause at a young age, like if we lost our ovaries, for example. And let's not forget that people with endo also have other problems too. Okay, so we could have pelvic floor dysfunction. We could have interstitial cystitis, guilty. We could have IBS, guilty. We could have a microbiome gut imbalance or a hormone imbalance, guilty. All of these can cause symptoms and pain and they all need to be addressed as well. So just excising endo doesn't address all these other co-conditions that we have in our bodies. Well, since endometriosis is an inflammatory condition which affects the entire body, it's important that after excision we keep actively doing things to heal our whole body on a holistic level to restore your quality of life with endometriosis. Yes, to approach endometriosis from a full body perspective and how to approach these co-conditions that come with endometriosis. I know that after excision surgery, I find myself pretty much in the same boat 
that I was in before. I'm taking care of myself. I'm working on the pillars of health, such as sleep, stress, diet, exercise. But since this whole podcast is devoted to different topics on living well with endometriosis, and these topics apply both pre and post excision surgery. And we're going to have many more topics to come in the future and the future episodes. So at the end of this episode, we're going to give a short list of some suggestions on ways that you can work on your health. But today, the main focus of this episode is going to be about all of the feelings and reflections that have come up for me in the year after excision. She's got a lot of feelings. <laughs> I do. I imagine that many of you might be grappling with similar feelings too, so we thought it'd be really good to share about these. As a quick recap for anyone who has not heard all the other episodes where I talk about every single detail of my life. Or if you want a refresher because you just really like to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll keep it really short. Last year, I had two surgeries in four months, and it was supposed to be one excision surgery for suspected endometriosis. I was not yet diagnosed with endometriosis, but the pre-op ultrasound showed a 12-centimeter. That's like the size of a grapefruit, FYI. <laughs> yes, it was. Super large mass on my left ovary, and so my surgery actually got canceled just a couple weeks before the surgery, which I had been waiting for forever. <laughs> oh my God. That, was a, that was a doozy of a moment. And I got referred to a gynecological oncologist surgeon. Tongue twister. Woo. And surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> so that he could take a look and figure out if the mass was cancerous. So I had surgery with him first, and they removed the mass, and they also removed my left ovary. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, left ovary. Bye. Peace out. Have I a guess, nice life. <laughs> I guess I didn't need you. <laughs> you were expendable. You were just growing something on you? Not necessary. <laughs> Nobody asked for that. Oh, surprise, surprise. I did not have cancer. Whew. I had a giant grapefruit-sized endometrioma that had been growing for who knows how long. And during that surgery, I was diagnosed with stage 4 endo, and that was after 16 years of having no diagnosis. Then, four months later, I had a excision surgery. A long-awaited Literally, I surgery. <laughs> recovered from the first surgery, which recovery was incredibly hard because my body went into, like, a lot of shock for losing, I think, the ovary and this mm -hmm. giant grapefruit-sized mass that had been in there for we feel empty. We don't know what to do. <laughs> and my body just freaked out. Surgery recover was incredibly hard, way harder than it was for the excision surgery. I was exhausted and fatigued, and it was very hard to sit down and go to work. And I was napping every day for months. At six weeks, I still couldn't pick up 10 pounds. And, and you know that's a big deal to Amy because her cats are around 10 pounds. <laughs> Can you imagine Amy not being able to pick up the babies? So last year sucked, basically. This whole episode, basically, you Everything learned. sucked, okay? It all sucked. I couldn't pick up my cat. <laughs> the end. Wrap it up. <laughs> We're just kidding. We're not done. So literally, as soon as I felt halfway better from the first surgery, after four months, almost to the day after the first surgery, I had the second surgery for excision. And it was with an excision surgeon and with a colorectal surgeon who also specialized in endometriosis. And they removed all the endo except for about 5%, which was on my bowels, which they deemed a little too risky to do the bowel resection and remove in my case. So they left it. So I still have endo. She gets to carry Red Dragon with her everywhere forever. <laughs> Me and my endo. Thank God. I didn't want to be separated. I know. <laughs> Of course not. I was like, I lost an ovary. Fine. I mean, did I really Just need that? Just keep a little baby bit of but endo. But I gotta left. have my endo. I mean, <laughs> we've been together so long. Since birth. <laughs> I can't give him up now. <laughs> please don't deny me the privilege of having endo in my life, please. <laughs> I've had him since literally forever. I can't live without him. <laughs> and that, in a nutshell, was my last year. Since the surgery, I've had major ups and downs both health-wise and emotionally. I have had no more debilitating pain during bowel movements or when I eat or 
after sex, or during my period. No more excruciating, debilitating pain. I think there is nothing that I will feel more grateful for than no longer having that kind of pain. Like that kind of pain, it literally rips your soul out. And I know that a lot of you listening, you experience that pain and you know what that pain is like. And it's absolutely horrible and horrifying and terrifying. And it's no exaggeration that physical pain like that affects you on an emotional level. And every day I wake up and I feel so grateful that I have been fortunate enough to no longer have that kind of pain. And I wish that for all of you, for anyone who out there who is listening, who goes through such excruciating, crippling pain, I hope that you'll be able to find a resolution for that. More good news. My fibromyalgia, which has affected me since high school, as well as extreme fatigue, has really diminished after the surgery probably because they were caused by the major inflammation that I had due to endo. And it's all wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. A lot of wonderful things have been happening. But. But. but, At work they said, in the emails, try not to use the word but. Try to use the word and. Okay, Yes, sometimes you can use the word and in lieu of but, but sometimes. But sometimes you have I mean, to use what do but. I <laughs> and now I'm having problems with my mast cells. And now I'm histamine intolerant. And symptoms include racing heart and insomnia and migraines and brain fog and anaphylactic shock and dizziness and digestive upset and weird random pains and hives and allergy symptoms, and I'm having all of them. And it also aggravates interstitial cystitis. So that's back in full force. It sounds like you're happy about that because you said and and not but. Yeah, I said and. I'm still doing the positives. Mm, Yeah. Sometimes there needs to be a but. It's a but. I had so many benefits from the surgery. But, but I'm still not doing well for different reasons. Dealing with a whole new beast. A whole new butt. We mean the one T butt. Okay. I was a little concerned what butt. Not the two T's. Did but. I have butt surgery? I mean, you've had colonoscopies. So, yeah. So, here are all the butts. But my period is coming every 21 days. But my hormones are imbalanced. I did a hormone test with a functional medicine practitioner, and I found out that I'm surprised estrogen dominant. No one's surprised. Surprise! (laughs) You know, I was told when I got my ovary removed that having one ovary would most likely not impact your hormones. And I was told that the ovary would pick up the slack of the missing ovary. But it looks like not only did he pick up the slack, but he's in overdrive. Well, he's trying to make up for his lost twin. His twin is gone. And so he's trying to be like, okay, I have to be my twin, but I have to be the better version of my twin. So I forget that my twin is gone. So he is a little bit of a like um, type A overachiever. Yeah, yeah. He has some trouble regulating his feelings. (laughs) So he's trying to overcompensate is the problem. That's so funny that you said overcompensate because my mast cells are also overcompensating. And these are cells that are part of your immune system that are throughout your body. And so you can have a reaction anywhere in your body because the cells are anywhere and at the drop of a hat because your immune system is like, oh, some foreign object known as the sun or a hot shower or sex or food or leftovers or stress. And then it decides to have a reaction. So like the triggers that I just mentioned for the mast cell activation syndrome that I have, I want to include excitement menstruation, cleaning products, makeup, deodorant, nail polish, toothpaste, all of that stuff trigger reaction. Heat, cold, all food, the act of eating. The act of thinking about eating. Becoming emotional. (laughs) So I'm going to be honest, it's been really, really, like really, really hard to deal with. And I've had to turn my life completely upside down. And it's come as a total shock to me. 
And I'll tell you, after excision for the first three to four months, of course, I was recovering and I was more tired, but it was smooth sailing, especially, as I mentioned, compared to the recovery of the first surgery where my body suffered that major trauma from losing the mass that it had grown so accustomed to. (laughs) Basically, it was like, we created this. How could you? It was, it felt very You have an oversized ovary. (laughs) We have been building this for 16 years. From birth, we got the tools and we made it. For 16 years, until you were 16, and then the last 16 years, we've been perfecting it, and you ripped it from us. So it was very mad, and it threw a temper tantrum. It was pissed. Yeah. But yeah, those two recoveries were like night and day for you. They were very, very different. They were so different, and everyone noticed. Everyone really saw how much I was struggling to recover from the first surgery, and then the second, it was like a breeze compared to... It was still bad. It was It was still, <laughs> I was recovering, so I wasn't like, woohoo, whatever. There's still weird stuff that happened, but it was not as Compared to the first one, it was was a breeze. And then, that's what you think. You're like, I'm recovering. I'm feeling better. I'm not having pain. I'm not having fatigue. I'm eating olives. There's so much right right now. I can pick up my cap. And about four months after, like right when I was like smooth sailing and overjoyed and wondering, wow, is my quality of life going to improve this much? You know when you just want to pinch yourself and you're like, am I, am I really? Dreaming? Yeah. Is this really happening? Did I really get three periods with no pain and on time and everything? Like everything was going really good. And then, haha, sucker. And that's when life comes and just slaps you in the face. And it's like, you should you have thought, pitched yourself. You thought. Because you would have seen you were in a dream. I love that dream. Don't ever let it end. The alarm clock goes off. Beep. <laughs> You're like, no, I don't want to go to the airport. That's the worst when you have to get up to at like 3 a.m. Especially when you're going home from wherever you've been nicely vacationing. Oh, the dread. Back to work, back to life. No. That's, how it, that's how it was. It was smooth sailing. And then the storm comes in and lightning strikes. <laughs> it washes you ashore. <laughs> everyone drowns. You're crashed on the rocks. The lighthouse fails. Even the dog. He starts swimming and then a big wave comes. All of us. Ship went down. No, the dog survived. I okay, know the dog I know survived, but okay, all the humans didn't. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> but around four months later, right when I was like, oh, I'm recovered from my surgery mostly. I'm happy. Ooh, Just when my hopes were like... I didn't want to have any expectations after the surgery. I had no, I didn't know if it was going to get rid of my debilitating pain that I've been living with almost weekly for a year and a half. Almost weekly, I had debilitating pain and it was breaking me emotionally. I didn't want to have any hopes. I didn't want to have any expectations. I didn't want to feel disappointed. I didn't want to feel let down. I didn't want to feel like I had done excision, which is the gold standard, and I didn't feel better. So I didn't let myself feel anything after the surgery i just felt not numb but i just felt like took it day by day and this is today and just neutral it was just neutral but after about four months like when i was starting to really feel that i was recovering and i could start doing yoga again and start going on my bike and pushing the grocery cart i started to get excited i started to feel optimistic and and then dashed upon the rocks. <laughs> and that is why you should never, ever feel happy. No, 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 no. no. no, no, no. <laughs> Have expectations. <laughs> or feel, feel happy, but it's okay when things happen. Things have happened. They always happen. I'm going to say it. I feel like a victim. I just, I feel like life is out to get me. And it's like this black hole that has sucked me in. And I'm having, I'm having a really hard time getting out of it. This problem has been going on for five months already, and I'm taking steps forward, definitely. I went to all the doctors. I got a diagnosis. Now I'm working with the functional medicine doctor. I'm eating the low histamine diet. I got cookbooks for the low histamine diet. I'm taking lukewarm showers. I scrubbed off all my nail polish. I'm taking steps. I replaced all my beauty products with coconut oil. Coconut oil. (laughs) (laughs) I'm asking myself every day the empowered questions. I'm asking myself, how can I live with this? How can I make eating easier now that I can't eat a whole bunch of healthy staples in my diet and I can't eat leftovers? How can I deal with all these emotions that are rising up? And how can I manage my stress? Because if I have too much stress, then I will have a raging migraine and then forget everything from brain fog. 
but I still feel like a victim. And I cannot shake these feelings of victimhood. And I just feel like it's just another huge problem and another curveball and another thing to spend thousands of dollars on that I don't have. And I'm pissed. I'm pissed that this is happening. And I am pissed that I've made so many changes for a healthy lifestyle and I'm still sick. And I watch others around me who don't have endo, who don't have histamine problems, who they're not in pain, they're not in flares, they're not having allergic reactions when they take a shower or, God forbid, use the wrong toothpaste. And then I feel sad and then I feel guilty for feeling pissed off. And I know that I should be overjoyed. Like, I know that. Like, I tell myself, what is wrong with you? You should be overjoyed that you had excision surgery. And so many of your symptoms from the endo are so much better. But my gratitude is overshadowed by my anger and by my grief. I really do understand that I have it really well. I understand that I had access to excision surgery when so many of us endo warriors, and maybe some of you listening, you don't have access to excision surgery. Maybe because it's cost prohibitive, maybe because it's not offered where you live or even in the country that you live in. And I understand that I no longer have excruciating pain on my period or when I have sex or when I have a bowel movement. And I was so desperate to be rid of that pain. That pain was breaking me emotionally. And and now I don't have it. And I am, I am so grateful. And sometimes I'm doing yoga and I just start sobbing in the middle of child's pose or not downward dog, but too, that takes too much core strength. A lot of effort. <laughs> or in Shavasana in the final resting pose. And I just feel the gratitude in my body. And I just start crying with relief and with acknowledgement that things have gotten better for me in this aspect and that I've had the privilege of having excision surgery and getting rid of 95% of my endo. But I have all these new problems and (laughs) it's a serious learning curve. They're just as ridiculous as the endo problems and they're giving me as much of a hassle as endo did. And I I thought I was going to be free from all the rules after my surgery. I thought that after excision, I was going to feel better and I was going to be freed. And in some ways, I do feel better. In some ways, I feel so much worse. And now I can't eat leftovers, right? Like, I can't even touch dish soap. I have to wear gloves when I do my dishes, even at work, like anytime. Like, I can't touch soap. Everyone at work wants to know why does Amy go into the kitchen at work wearing blue polka dot dish gloves when she needs to go wash her fork? Is she some kind of germaphobe or something? Actually, Brittany is a certified <laughs> germaphobe. Brittany has a pretty major phobia. I have a low immune system. Okay. A pretty, well, pretty major phobia. The celiac does weird things with germs, <laughs> but I don't give a crap about germs. Okay. But what you do give a crap about. And I just want to, and I just, I feel so, I just feel so, I just want to scream in their faces. You want to know why I'm wearing gloves? Do you want to know why I'm wearing gloves? I will tell you why I'm wearing gloves. Because I have an illness called endometriosis that caused all my abdominal organs to stick together. So I had to have surgery for it. But first, I had to have a surgery for a giant endometrioma that the doctors thought could be cancer. But it turned out to be my horrible disease. Anyways, I got that surgery. And then I got a second surgery. And then so many things got better for me. But then my hormones got imbalanced because endometriosis screwed them up because it ripped my ovary out. And so that caused my immune system to go bonkers and decide to react to everything it could, such as water and the sun and nail polish and tomatoes and avocados and other staples in my diet, and including sex, don't have an orgasm. That's right, sex and stress and makeup and deodorant. So now I'm rubbing freaking coconut oil and lemongrass on my armpit. And it's certainly not working very well in the summer. And last but not least, the list pretty much includes every item in the world, including dish soap, hence the gloves. <laughs> I, I think, uh... Can you go back to the part where you talk about coconut oil in your armpits? I think I need a refresher. <laughs> I'm still curious. <laughs> oh, why are people so, they're so morbidly curious? Because I need to know everything like, about you. Why are you wearing dish gloves? Are you being Just germs? take take one by what? the pointer you- finger, pull the dish glove <laughs> oh off, and then slap them with the rubbery end. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I don't want to tell anyone what's happening. It feels so. Like, 
I don't like pruny fingers. <laughs> there, there's your answer. <laughs> Every single person has made a comment about the, the stupid gloves. Like, oh, I love feeling the water and soap on my hands. Don't you? Well, not if I want to go to anaphylactic shock, I don't. Okay. <laughs> they are just regular dish gloves. It's not that weird. But people will not. I mean, we talked about how people don't shut up about comments about food. Never mind comments about your blue polka dotted dish gloves at work. Like, leave us alone, people. They just hone in on things. <laughs> just Anything that's different, we must bring it to light and make fun of it. <laughs> okay, leave me alone. <laughs> Ridiculous. But I, I feel so, I feel so angry. And I think part of it is that I feel angry, not just for the histamine and the mast cell problems, but I feel angry for having endometriosis. I feel angry that all of us have endometriosis. And I feel angry that one in 10 of us have endometriosis, that it is so common and so neglected by the medical community. Through this podcast, which has been going on for nine months, by the way, which is amazing. You guys have been with us for so long. We have had this honor of connecting with so many incredible, incredible people who push forward every day in spite of the pain and the fatigue. People have written us with their stories of being dismissed by doctors and the insurance company denying coverage for even a basic laparoscopic surgery. I mean, come on already. Many of us are losing their jobs. Many of us are thinking that we are crazy for years because that's what they've been telling us over and over and over. And we didn't have any diagnosis. We've been brushed off. And I just, every time I hear the story of someone else, I feel more and more pissed about how unacceptable and how disgraceful endometriosis care is in the medical system. Let's just keep adding wood to the fire. I'm so here for this right now. (laughs) I'm feeling very angry. I'm so enraged and fired up right now. Keep it burning. (laughs) Burn it to the ground. (laughs) We are 176 million women and transgender or non-binary people who live with endometriosis. Why are we so many? And we've been abandoned by the overall medical system. Aside, of course, from a few amazing doctors, like the surgeon who did my excision and other endometriosis doctors and surgeons who are dedicating their lives and their medical practice to treating endometriosis and treating us. But I'm just so angry that I should have been diagnosed and treated with excision years ago. We all should have been. We shouldn't be waiting seven years, 10 years, 16 years, 25 years to get a diagnosis and to get proper treatment for a disease that is ravaging our lives. I'm pissed for everyone who's gotten ineffective treatment thinking that it was going to help them. I'm so pissed for everyone who has gotten treatment that caused them irreversible side effects, side effects which they may or may not have even been informed about by their doctor. And I'm pissed about all the doctors who are misinformed and with their incorrect information, they hurt us. I'm pissed that it's not just Amy who has to deal with being dismissed by doctors, that it's this entire community of people who do not get adequate care, and who are not even listened to. I'm pissed that it's so many of us, yet people don't seem to care that there is an entire population of people suffering every single day with something that could be treated if only the medical community thought it was worth treating. And that's so unfair, and it's disgusting. With endometriosis, there are so many trials and tribulations and fights Because you actually are fighting, not only against endo, but against this entire system. All this misinformation, these dismissive doctors, dismissive family members and friends, the lack of access to the expert care, all while battling the actual experience of endometriosis, the pain, the fatigue, the nausea, the self-doubt, the comments from others that are just uninvited, are rude and flat-out disrespectful. And the list goes on and on. Every day, these trials, these efforts, these fights are being fought, yet nobody in the medical community cares. And that is just so devastating and so egregious to us. Except our excision surgeons. 
and doctors. Except. Exception. Except. <laughs> Except. The one exception. But the are overall. Are those few people. The overall. We recognize and we're so grateful and we appreciate our true endometriosis specialists. They shine bright because it takes a very special person to recognize that there is a huge need for adequate care and to stand up and take that challenge. So to them, we are so thankful. And I think also offer that care in the face of the conventional medical system. Absolutely. Where the conventional medical system is pushing ineffective treatments, is pushing... Easier and more cost-effective for the pharmaceutical company treatments. Misinformation on endometriosis, on what it is, on what causes it, and how it can be treated. The excision surgeons and endometriosis specialists who stand tall in the face of all that, and they're doing research, and they're advocating for us, and they're operating on us, and they have this level of skill that takes a whole, not just years, but like they have to dedicate their whole practice to endometriosis to to have these skills. They're literally one in a million. Could not be more thankful. Well, and I think for that reason, I've come to realize that I'm grieving. I'm grieving for myself and I'm grieving for all of us and for what we've been through and for everything that has been robbed of us. I'm grieving for the people that we would be if we didn't have endometriosis and for the lives that we could have if we didn't have endometriosis. I can barely take care of myself. And it's not because I'm not responsible or empowered or because I don't want to, but because taking care of myself is a full-time job with rules that are constantly changing. And I can barely handle having endo. I work so hard to keep myself together and to be able to go to work and to not lose my job and to keep my life together. And my life is so bare bones. Like I just go to work and then I come home and now I do this podcast and I watch Netflix. Like that's everything. And I take care of myself. But you cook a lot. <laughs> but yeah, now, especially now that all the food has to be fresh. But taking care of myself takes all my time. It takes all of my free time. And recently, I find myself grieving for the scared, timid girl that I was. I grieve for the girl who, within a few years of getting sick and getting told over and over that it was in her head, that was me, I'm talking about me, that she stopped advocating for herself. And I grieve for the girl who self-medicated because when you are desperate and you're feeling alone, and you're in so much pain physically and emotionally, it's hard to know how to cope. And I don't recommend self-medicating, but that's something that I did, and I grieve that I felt that I had to do that for myself. And I grieve for all of the trauma that I've gone through in 16 years, and the trauma that we have gone through collectively. Well, in my case, from actually pooping myself to literally screaming in pain on the floor, writhing and begging for the pain to stop. And I know that a lot of you have been in that situation. Maybe not the pooping yourself. But maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think <laughs> if you do, loss of we bowel control <laughs> is a little bit common when you have really intense pain. So it's very traumatic to be in pain like that. And I realize now Last year, in the moment of the surgeries, I was just trying to be neutral and put one foot in front of the other and get through it and get through everything. But now that I think back, I mean, Brittany, you were there. How traumatic was it when I got that call on a Friday morning and two weeks before my surgery was supposed to happen? And it was all, la-di-da, my surgery is coming up. I'm excited. Going to be diagnosed with endo, hopefully, and going to get it excised. And the nurse, so nicely, but, you know, she in this really nice tone. And she's, oh, hi, did they talk to you about the possibility of this mass being cancer? I think our world stopped spinning at that moment. I was like, what? Yeah, I think think everything kind of screeched to a halt. And we were like, what are you talking about? It had never crossed our mind. Everything was ready. We're ready to go for excision. Everything's gearing up. And all of a sudden, screeching halt, driving a car at 90 miles an hour into a wall. (laughs) I mean, at that moment, When we started discussing that you're going to have to have another surgery before you can have excision surgery, 
And I remember the moment when you realized your excision surgery was going to have to be pushed back. Yeah, she they said, completely canceled it. The surgery, and we're referring you to this gynecological oncologist who we work with, who's really great. You're going to be in great hands. You're going to talk about with him the possibility of the mass being cancer, and you're going to take care of that and get cleared, and you can come back to us and book another surgery. But all we heard was your treatment is canceled. And that was that was basically And you might like, have cancer. Yeah, and you might have cancer. It was just like this devastating moment of everything we had been waiting for for years. Now you can't do it. And also it might be cancer. And also it might like, even be worse. We're going to punch you in the face, then punch you also in the gut at the same time. Like that was just like. Then we're going to punch you in the face, then we're going to decapitate you. Yeah, it was just multi. That, that moment. How, how is that not traumatic? When something you've been waiting for for so many years is canceled. And also, here's where you can use the and instead of the but. <laughs> and also might be cancer. <laughs> that, that moment, that's traumatic. That was a trauma moment that will be indelibly ingrained on us forever. Because in that moment, everything stopped spinning. Where, where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to move forward? And we had to figure it out. And I was angry that that happened to you. Thank God we were at work. I just, I literally, <laughs> as, she was, as she was talking, I just rushed into Brittany's office. She was on the phone. I just shut the door and I like. She gave me a look and I was like, I have to go. <laughs> and then I just put the phone on speaker and looked at Brittany with my heart sinking and my eyes wide open. We were listening and they were like, oh, can you go take these blood tests and this other test? I just left. I didn't even tell my, I didn't tell anyone. I was, I was so panicked. Like I was just like, I have to go, I have to go take this test right now. I have to find out if I have cancer. Both the tests came back elevated with indication that it could be ovarian cancer. And because I was not yet diagnosed with endometriosis, we didn't have this clear idea that like if I had already had endo, it could have more clearly been like, okay, you have endo, you have severe endo. It's probably the endometrioma, but we didn't know anything. And yeah, it was the scariest moment of, well, the scariest two weeks of my life. And I don't even know how I got to the, well, Brittany drove us, but. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't know how you got there because you were I, just like in shock the whole time. <laughs> and I wanted to, and I literally wanted to run away screaming, but my mom had come down and I didn't want to scare my mom. And I know that a lot of you listening, you have stories like that. The details are different, right? But the feeling, the fear and the trauma and the anger, those are universal emotions. And I feel like they're the same. We share them. We each have a different story. But what we have felt, I think, has been very similar. That breaks my heart. And I have been crying almost every single day. Like the telenovela <laughs> kind of crying. That kind. <laughs> like crying on the floor. Soap opera Clutching crying. my cats. Like, <laughs> like, mommy, let me go. <laughs> no, Hard. I'm screaming, crying. <laughs> Hardcore crying. I feel like so many of us have to be so strong in the face of endometriosis. Like, I know in the year and a half before my surgery, I had to be strong as steel because I was having weekly episodes of debilitating pain. And when I say debilitating, and it lasted for hours, like four or five hours, vomiting, pooping, writhing, screaming. I had to push down all of those emotions and I had to be strong and I had to get through those moments and I had to get through those days and those weeks and those months as I searched for a doctor for endometriosis and I waited for the excision surgery and I tried my best to just fight every day and keep it together and not lose my job. And I missed all kinds of important moments in my life, like Britney's wedding. Mm. Sorry, Britney. It's okay. <laughs> Please forgive me. You were forgiven the second it happened. <laughs> okay. It has been so hard. All of these things happen to us daily. I mean, like on an hourly basis, right? And we're just pushed through and pushed through and pushed through. And we're so incredibly strong. And we're so courageous. We're pretty inspiring, if you ask me, too. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but guess what? I don't want to be strong. I don't want to have to be courageous. I just want to lay in my bed like a puddle of jello, watching Netflix, under the covers with my kitties, 
I didn't want to do anything else. I just, that's all I want to do. I just, I want a vacation for my life and I want to take a break and I want to not have symptoms for just like 10 minutes. Like just, can I have 10 minutes where I don't have pain or a migraine or trouble breathing or whatever? I'm going through a really hard time and I know a lot of you are as well. And I keep telling myself, okay, just one day at a time. And some days I will wake up and I will say to myself, like, okay, one foot in front of the other and you just have to get until lunch and then I'll have lunch, which food is evil. And then I will tell myself, okay, you just have to make it another few hours to the end of the day and then I'll get home and I'll tell myself, okay, it's great. You just have to make it through till bedtime. Then you just have to make it through the night and then the alarm goes off and you rinse and repeat. But not with hot water. And not with soap. (laughs) Something that has really kept me moving through difficult times in my life is remembering that life is cyclical, just in its nature. And as part of that, it has seasons. There are seasons in our lives where nothing is going right and everything is horrible. And I don't just mean things suck, but like everything is horrible. And that is the season that Amy's in now and some of you are also in now. But the thing with seasons is that they change and they evolve into new seasons. And sometimes those seasons are worse than the season before them. Oh, joy. Yeah. <laughs> what can we look forward to? Last year around this time, this season was worse than the one now. But you did have a good season and your seasons changed. And I feel like every year can have multiple seasons or a year could be just one season. And because life changes and evolves and we grow and our experiences are always moving, whenever I was going through a really difficult time that I did not see the end of, I just remembered that there's always an end to something and there's always the next season on the horizon. Right now it's a storm, like a raging, like we said, ship on the rocks, blasted apart, only the dog survived, no lighthouse, storm but it doesn't last forever. A storm tires itself out. (laughs) It has to be sunny sometime. And it doesn't feel like that in the middle of the storm because it's raging and it's horrible and it's scary. But we just have to hold on and make it through until we reach the other side. We want to take a little time to say a huge, huge, massive thank you to our community and to everybody listening to us. We've talked to so many of you. You've written to us. You've responded to our posts on Instagram. But we are so thankful for this community and for the friendships that we've made and for the people that we've interacted with and for all the brave posting their stories and reaching out to us with your own stories, your inspirational messages, how you feel about what we've said. Every time we read them, it's like this glimmer of hope in this season that we're having. And you inspire us, even though you say we inspire you, we're like, but you're inspiring us. And so it's this really incredible community that we have that we can use each other to squeeze just a little bit of strength out. If you're in a season that's not a good season, please reach out to us, talk to us, because people in this community have shared experiences. And we definitely 100% can assure you that you are absolutely not alone. I think, Brittany, you said that really well about being so grateful and so appreciative to have this community and to have met so many incredible people who are fighting this fight alongside each other. Like many of us, we don't know each other, but just knowing that we're not alone and that this same fight is being fought by millions of women and trans and non-binary people across the world It helps me find my strength to keep going, even in the lowest moments. I have been so depressed at times since the excision surgery. And when I go on Instagram and I see what all of these incredible people are posting about getting through the day, getting through the pain, you can do this just one more day, just one foot in front of the other, just make it through your day. And it really does help me and help all of us find that strength to keep going when we thought that all of our strength was used up. 
So I just want to thank everyone out there who is sharing their story, who is sharing their voice and their experience with this awful illness and helping us see that we're all in this together and collectively and individually, we are so strong. And on the other hand, I feel like since the excision surgery, when I was also diagnosed with endometriosis, following the endo community on Instagram and and having this podcast and interacting with so many of you amazing listeners, I realized that I have an illness called endometriosis and it's incurable. And I know that's kind of like a duh because the whole podcast is about having endometriosis, but For 16 years, I was told that my illness was in my head, like many of you were also told. At some point when all the tests came back negative and everyone kept insisting that there was nothing wrong with me, I also believed that, that there was nothing wrong with me. And I would tell myself, no, you're not sick. It doesn't hurt that bad. Don't exaggerate, Amy. It's not that bad. And I really minimized what I felt and I really tried to sweep under the rug what I felt because I just thought that I was sensitive. Getting diagnosed with endometriosis has been a huge slap in my face. It's this really heavy weight on my shoulders that it's just, it's pressing on me that endometriosis is an incurable illness. And I've had excision, which is the gold standard. I got some of the best treatment that can be offered but I'm still sick and I'm still having problems. And I know that a lot of us in the community still have problems after having excision. Some of us don't. A lot of us don't have their endo recur, but others have complications or like me, some new problem pops up and it's tiring. (laughs) I'm tired of it. And from there rises up those pesky feelings of being a victim. And when I was younger, I used to ask myself all the time, why me? Why me? But I know that it isn't just me because I know of the 176 million people with endometriosis. My endo family. (laughs) And I know that you're all suffering too. I know it is not why me. It's not me. It's not like I've been singled out. It's one in 10 and most likely we're born with it. It's It's a birth defect. So many of you won the genetic lottery. Well, it should have come with money, Brittany. (laughs) That would have been a way better prize than endo. it's pretty expensive to pay for endo treatment. Here, you've won the genetic lottery. Oh, what did I get? Endometriosis. Uh, Can I return it? No refunds. (laughs) And so instead of saying, why me? I'm asking myself, why is this happening to us? And why can't we just get better? And sometimes when I'm feeling really low, I just ask myself, what is the point of taking care of myself when I'm still so sick? Well, Amy, I really hope that I've given you this answer enough that you already know the answer about why it's important to take care of yourself. What's the point, Brittany? I hope you know why. What's the point? (laughs) I'll tell you the point again. Okay. Because I remind you of it all the time. (laughs) Think about the lowest point with your endo and how you felt. All of us listening, not just me. Everybody. This is an everybody question. Oh, God. Go deep. Think about. Deep into the depths of the trauma. The absolute worst that you've ever felt before you knew what was going on or suspected what was going on or had any kind of ability to make any changes or improvements. And think of that moment. And if you're in that moment, I'm so sorry you're in that moment right now. And I'm so sorry that's where you are right now. I'm in college. Pooping behind a bush. And I'm sorry for college, Amy. (laughs) And then being in my dorm room with chronic fatigue and not being able to wake up and my roommates wondering, why is she sleeping all day long? (laughs) And my dad saying, if you don't feel better, we're going to have to withdraw from college for a semester until you can feel better because you can't go to your class right now because you can't get out of bed. That's where I'm at, Brittany. Thanks a lot. That's a pretty low point. And then think about how... Once you started to find out little ways to make your poop not come out whenever it wanted to and to help your chronic fatigue not cripple you whenever it wanted to, your legs didn't hurt every time you walked and you were able to think clearly for some moments of the day. When you started having those little changes and started being able to make lifestyle choices that enabled those positive things to start to happen, then how did you feel? Well, I felt happy because I was making progress and because I didn't have to feel that way all the time or for what I thought was going to be forever. 
and then it began to change. And that's why we take care of ourselves. And that's the point. Because it's never going to be 100%. You're never going to be able to take care of yourself so well that it's 100% resolved. Because as we know, diet and lifestyle choices are not a cure to endometriosis. But those lifestyle and diet changes can help you to live with endometriosis, as obnoxious and horrible as it is. That's why we take care of ourselves. That's the point. Because when we are able to make even the smallest improvements to how we're feeling, that enables us to do the things that we really want to do, like have a job or have a child or have Have a a hobby. Have a podcast. Yeah, have a kitty. (laughs) Have a really great career or something that's really interesting to us. Or sometimes that could just mean being able to sit down on the couch for one hour and read a book without being interrupted by having to have diarrhea 25 times a day. You can read pretty well from the toilet. (laughs) It's also true. So those little things, when you're deep in the darkest moments, seem like they don't even matter. But when you remember how it can be, that's the point. Because when it can be good is when you can achieve the things that you want to achieve and it's possible for it to be better. And it can be better, even though in the dark moments it doesn't seem possible. Well, Brittany, you always have such a way with words and with motivating. And I knew you would help diminish those pesky feelings of being a victim because they're just so pervasive those feelings and i don't know if you're listening if you also feel like a victim if you've ever felt like a victim on this journey it's so easy for me at least to get trapped in that mindset and it's a really powerless place to be you're right i mean i guess there when these kind of problems pop up there's an adjustment period and It takes time to adjust. I just, I guess right now I feel like I had adjusted to having endo, like as horrible as it was. It was like my normal and I was used to the symptoms and used to the reality of having endo and it was horrifying and at times terrifying. But I guess it's sad that as humans we can adjust to any, (laughs) like we can adjust to so adaptable. Yeah. To our own fault. (laughs) And to even to things that are not great for us. And I just feel like I, I don't know, I feel like I had in some ways adjusted to having endometriosis and working towards accepting having endometriosis and acceptance has been an obsession of mine for several years. And I write about it and I've been working towards it and I've been meditating on acceptance of endometriosis for, I would say, at least five years This is something that I began several years ago when I lived in Japan, and I thought that I had had acceptance of endometriosis because, well, I didn't know I had endometriosis, but I knew that I was very sick and very sensitive, and I had been working so hard to accept my body for what it was and accept my reality for what it was and accept all the restrictions and all the rules for what they were and to feel neutral about them and to not make them let me feel upset or bring me down or feel depressed. and. I feel like just when I really thought that I had accepted being sick and having endo, the universe was like, oh, you think you accepted having endo? Well, now we're going to test you with another problem. And guess what? You know how I'm doing on this test? I'm not doing well. I'm kind of failing. Struggling. And I keep trying to go back to a noble teaching that I've learned, which is not religious. It's just a teaching. Like, it's just a life lesson. It's from the Buddha, and it says that all suffering comes from attachment. And I think this is a universal truth, because when you're attached to something, okay, when you want something and you don't have it, or when you have something like endometriosis and you don't want it, it causes you to suffer. And I've been trying to work on not wanting things and not not wanting things and just feeling neutral about what I have and the reality that I live in. Of course, always striving forward to make changes, to empower myself, to have a better situation, like not resignation, but just acceptance and feeling neutral about the bad things that are that happen in our lives. Since excision and with the histamine problems, I'm I don't know. I've been rethinking a lot. Like, what does acceptance mean? And I don't think that there's this concrete place or thing or there's this definitive acceptance. You're going to say like, yes, I accept having endometriosis. But rather, I think that it's an ongoing process. And I think that each time we 
think about it and we meditate on it and we strive for it, that we can get closer to peace and equanimity. And sometimes we'll get it. Like we'll have moments where we feel at peace. But now I think it's not something that can be achieved and you go in this plane, this state of continuous acceptance. Like it's not something that you stay in. I think it's something that has ups and downs and seasons, like Brittany said. And I think it's more of a process that continues to unfold and to change with time. And then there can be back steps as well as steps forward. I have been telling myself that endo and the surgeries and the histamine problems, that these are opportunities. Oh, wow. Lucky you. What great opportunities you've been given. (laughs) Oh, the blessed opportunities. (laughs) Well, and we hear that a lot and it's easy to make fun of like, oh, yeah, this is an opportunity for growth. But I have grown a lot from having endo. I mean, my ovary grew by 12 centimeters. Okay, we didn't mean that. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that emotionally, I have grown a lot from having endo. So in some ways, there are these opportunities to, to learn from our suffering. And that is what I'm trying to do right now with these histamine problems and with the endo, because I have to find a way to hold on. And I have to... I have to feel that there's a deeper meaning behind all of this suffering and this trauma and this pain that I and that all of us have been going through. So I'm just trying to not feel attached to wanting my life to be different. I'm trying to practice the concept that I don't need things to go right to have gratitude. It's really, really hard to remember that the things that give me joy are inside of me. Things like love and the light of life and being alive. I'm trying to practice going inwards and not outwards. These desires to feel better and to eat the foods that I want, to sleep through a night without pain. So this is my chance to to walk the talk and to practice what I preach and to be happy anyways and to have joy anyways, even in the face of so much pain and trauma and suffering. And to love and to feel gratitude and to feel like life is a gift, even though I'm in a dark season, that life is a gift anyways. We mentioned about the cancer scare and how they called me on the phone and said, did anyone talk to you about this being cancer? It's like, no. That's not the greatest bedside man. No. And no one thought it was going to be can't like none of those thoughts surprise were in my... was the first word you should have said <laughs> surprise surprise because this was unexpected this mass might actually be something totally different advanced ovarian cancer oh, oh okay and that was not a good gift waiting to have that surgery and waiting to have that mass biopsied i had to wait two weeks to have the surgery and those were the scariest two weeks of my life because i literally thought that I could have cancer and an aggressive heart to cure cancer. Yeah. If it had been cancer, I would have been in really bad shape because at that point, the doctor said if it is cancer and it's that big, it's probably metastatic and the rate of remission would have been very low. So I was I was terrified. I thought that there was a chance that I could die. When I woke up, the first thing that the post-op nurse said to me was, It wasn't cancer. And for days and for weeks afterwards, even though that surgery recovery was really hard, it was extremely hard, I was so grateful because I was alive and I didn't have cancer. Like, I was still here. And I promised myself that I would remember those terrifying two weeks of my life and I would never waste a day. But it's really hard right now to remember that feeling of gratitude. And so I keep telling myself, this will pass. And this is just a season, like Brittany said. And in six months, hopefully, or a year or two years, I mean, let's hope not, but two years is not such a long period in the scheme of your life, right? So I just hope that soon enough, I will look back and I will be like, okay, that was awful. But you got through that. Just like I look back 
at the cancer scare. And I say, that was awful. And time stood still as I waited for the two weeks and for the surgery and for the biopsy to come. Like that time stood still, but I made it through that. In all those hours of debilitating pain, I made it through that. And that's all the past. A traumatic past, but it's in the past. And even though right now I'm in this present moment where everything is really hard and I have these new problems, I know that one day I'll be able to look back and I'll say, okay, this too passed. This is past. So we wanted to say to everyone listening that you will get through the things that you are going through. You, you will get through them. Living with endo and with health challenges and with the pain and the fatigue and the nausea and the mental health challenges that the physical challenges bring on. It feels impossible at times, but you will get through this. So just put one foot in front of the other and keep going. And I'm over here. I'm, I'm doing the same. And we're going to get through this. And as Amy and I have acknowledged before, excision is not a cure for endometriosis. And because the body is super complex, there's a lot of moving parts with endometriosis because of the inflammation, and that causes years of damage. So what else can you do after your excision surgery if things aren't perfect, or things aren't as great as you'd hope they would be, or things are still on the path of recovery? Because remember, recovery is more than just the physical scars healing. It goes way past that. Your body internally needs a lot more time to recover, and so do you mentally and emotionally. Some of the things you can do with your body are pelvic floor therapy or pelvic pain therapy. And this is something to look into if you're still having pain because these therapies have to do with the pelvic floor muscles when they're not functioning correctly. You can also do things like eating more home-cooked food, eat more vegetables, exercise more, meditate, do yoga, lower your stress. That's a big one. Get better sleep. Work on your relationships with your family and your friends. Dedicate some time to meeting career goals that you've wanted to meet. Finding yourself, your identity, and things like hobbies or sports or art or something that really gets your heart excited. Draw boundaries <laughs> with others who aren't pushing you in the right direction, who aren't strengthening you in the ways that you want to be strengthened. Keep taking responsibility for your health. Keep researching. Keep moving forward in your journey because just because the surgery is over does not mean your journey has ended. Keep protecting your mind space from toxic people, movies, news, misinformation, people who are trying to tear you down rather than lift you up. Keep listening to our podcast and keep empowering yourself. Because that's the one weapon we've got is the empowering ourselves. All of those things fall under that. And if we keep empowering ourselves and keep putting ourselves first, we'll have a better time on our journey towards mental, emotional, and physical health. So you hear us say all the time, excision's the gold standard. You're probably sick of us saying that, but it's true. But it's not perfect. So it's not the end-all, be-all. It doesn't mean that 100% of things are going to be better. And because the body's complicated, life is still just as complicated in every way, even after surgery. And in some ways, Amy got a lot better. And in some ways, she got a lot worse. And like you've been hearing us say, it's a lifelong journey. And unfortunately, a chronic disease means forever. But health is also a lifelong journey. And we can use the lessons that we've learned while trying to survive with endo to help us to live neutral, or dare I say, better. <laughs> Hopefully post-surgery, some of the things that we learned pre-surgery can help us to have a better quality of life. And we can keep always working towards empowering ourselves and accepting our bodies for what they are and accepting ourselves for who we are. So what about you? For all of you listening, what about you? Have you had surgery? Have you had excision surgery for your endometriosis? How are you doing mentally and physically after having your surgery? We hope this episode has helped you, that it's made you think about a lot of things. And we just want to thank you, as always, for listening to us 
I know we didn't laugh a lot in this episode. I promise the laughter's coming back. <laughs> but sometimes we have to be a little more serious. I have no laughs left. No, no, no. <laughs> I do. I do. But even recording this episode has helped me feel a little bit better. It's helping remind me why it's all worth it and that I'm going to make it through this, just like I know all of you are too. And if you're in a low season right now, a dark, dark winter, definitely reach out to us because we both know what it's like to be in dark winter seasons. And I'm sure there are so many people in this community that you could also reach out to that have experienced the same. And like we always say, you're definitely not alone, absolutely not alone. And if you feel that you are, just reach out because it's absolutely not true. There are so many people in this community with shared experiences. Everyone is experiencing the same things just with their own story. So if you need help or you need to speak with somebody, of course, reaching out to a mental health professional or an endo specialist is always a great idea. But if you just want somebody to talk to, reach out to each other, reach out to us, because healing is a lifelong process and there are peaks and valleys on the way. So if you're in a valley, just know that that's not a permanent place. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We are on Instagram at in16yearsofendo, and we're on the website in16years.com. If you liked this episode and you liked the podcast, we would love if you could leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Our aim with this podcast is to help as many endo sufferers as possible. And when you leave a rating for the show and someone new finds the show and they see that it's been well rated, then they're more apt to listen to the show. So by you leaving a rating, it helps others in the community. And Brittany's eyes light up whenever she sees the shiny five stars. And Amy's do too, don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps me going. It makes us feel like this is worth it. So thank you. 